0: This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com/slash commercial member FDIC.
1: Hey, before we start the show, we understand that some of you are still getting other NPR podcasts in your rough translation feed. And that is annoying. And we are really sorry, but there is a fix. Just tweet at NPR help or send us an email. We'll get you in the right hands. I'm Gregory Warner, and you're listening to Rough Translation from NPR. We love to hear from you, your emails and tweets and reviews about the rough translation moments in your life. How you're figuring out who you are in a different place. Like, we got this email from a listener about taking language class in Germany, having to choose between feminine and masculine nouns. Are you die Studenten or... Their student, And you don't have to travel, of course, to have a rough translation moment. A listener in Minnesota told us that our episode about two sisters in Pakistan encouraged her to speak out about something that she'd kept silent about for 25 years. We'd, by the way, love to hear more about that story if you're listening. And we'd love to hear from all of you. How has where you are or where you've been affected who you've become? Write us. We may use your story in a future episode. Hello? I hear you.
2: Yay, I can hear you.
1: So today we are going to spend time with one of your stories. It comes from an American mom on a military base. I'm a
2: hardcore fan.
1: <laughs> it's a story about how her six-year-old son decided that he belonged to a different country. You
2: couldn't verbalize it? But
1: I and then really that country wholly embraced him, which left his mom wondering, where did she belong in his life?
2: Like, I just, I can't explain to you... The amount of fear I had.
1: That story, when Rough Translation
0: returns. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore. A new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics. Built to move in. Styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Noom. Noom understands that not everyone is starting from the same place, and takes that into account. With their first ever cookbook, the Noom Kitchen, you can find a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever
1: books are sold. We're back with NPR's Rough Translation.
3: Well, yeah, I have this. Uh... At
1: nine years old, Ryden has moved around a lot.
3: It has like what I call treasure in it.
1: Ryden keeps it's the stuff from his travels.
3: I got this um, red container in
1: this little plastic treasure box
3: it has um lots of coins and
1: there's a seashell
3: from the philippines
1: that's where his dad is from there's a pen where you can click different colors of ink
3: this pen used to be really nice
1: his teacher took away the pen but
3: then i stole it back hopefully she's not listening to this because she'll be so mad
1: Ryden was born in Germany. Then he moved to North Carolina, then Japan, then Kansas. Now he's back on the East Coast. His dad is in the U.S. Army, and they move from base to base. He's lanky, with a swoop of brown hair covering his eyes. He's a middle child with three siblings. But it can seem more like an only child. Interacting with other kids, that's always been hard for Ryden.
3: I didn't um, care if anybody didn't play with me.
1: His earliest memories... Or being on a school playground, making up games that didn't need another player. Like trying to dribble a basketball closer and closer to the ground until it stopped.
3: I just dribble the basketball for the whole...
1: He could fill a whole recess It'd period stop. that way.
3: I was never really um good.
1: Never good at fitting in.
3: It was um
2: hard to do. Raiden is just really aware of the world around him in a way that my other kids aren't.
1: Ryden's mom, Nicole, dreaded this thing that would happen anytime she and Ryden were out in public together, like recently when she brought cupcakes to his class for his birthday.
2: We walk in and this kid says, oh, that's your mom? And I was like, yeah, I'm his mom. And he goes,
1: oh, oh, I don't know. I just thought she'd look different. And I'm like, you know, I know what he meant. Ryden looks a lot more like his dad, who's from the Philippines, while his mom...
2: I'm a basic white girl. Blonde (laughs) hair,
1: green eyes. Your
2: average pumpkin spice latte kind of girl.
1: One time in a store, her younger son was physically taken from her.
2: The store manager wouldn't return him to me because they didn't think he was mine. I get asked a lot where I adopted them from.
1: And what made you think that Ryden noticed it more or that it affected him more?
2: He said some things to me. He'd asked me to dye my hair. Oh. Um, or he asked me to dye it black. And I said, I said why? And he said, so we can, we can look
1: alike. Ryden was asking this when he was four.
2: You know, and stuff like that, like that hurts. You know, I wanted to go somewhere where they would not be different.
1: When Ryden was five years old, The family got word that they were moving again, this time to Japan.
2: I was really excited to go to Japan, mostly though because I knew what it would mean to my husband and the kids. I would be the one different and standing out, not them.
1: She packed up the family to go overseas, ready and even looking forward to being the one in the family who was seen most as the outsider. The house that they were assigned to on the US base in Tokyo, it happened to be right on the edge of the compound, next to this chain link fence.
2: So, all the Japanese people can see inside,
1: because it's just a chain link fence, and we can see outside. On their side of the fence was the American base.
2: We all had yards and grass.
1: <laughs> little America.
2: You know, we had a pool and like these beautiful playgrounds everywhere.
1: But five-year-old Raiden seemed a lot more interested in looking through the fence at the Japanese kids. You'd see them playing
2: and like the freedom that they had, going everywhere by themselves.
1: In Japan, it's pretty common practice that kids will walk to school alone, without parents or teachers, just in a line of other kids.
2: Small children all walking together in unison.
1: In their colored caps and backpacks.
2: This huge procession.
1: And Ryden one day tells his mom, I want to go to school with them. She tells him, "Ryden, you don't speak Japanese. And by the way, neither do I.
2: And he just really kept harassing me to go. And I kept asking him why. And he couldn't verbalize it, but I kind of got the feeling that it was, he he wanted to be with the kids who looked like him.
1: If you ask Ryden why he wanted to go to the Japanese school, he says he wasn't paying attention so much to how those kids looked, it was something else.
3: I've always been different.
1: Something deeper he saw. He
3: started noticing it. He had
1: this feeling he'd belong better.
3: I
2: liked it. With
1: them out there. For Nicole, it was so much easier to stay on this side of the fence.
2: I don't want to deal with not reading the language. And I knew the homework would be tough and I couldn't help him.
1: But no. this is what her son seemed to need.
2: Like, okay, let's do this. And so
1: I'm she called right. City Hall. They told her, as a foreigner, she needed to do an interview. The interview with the school principal. She shows up at the school with her translator and also Ryden and her two younger kids. And the teacher gives Ryden some paper to draw a picture off in the corner, while the principal starts asking questions to Nicole. Why does she want to join this school?
2: And it was just very much him leaned back, legs crossed, nodding his head. I'm like, we will work hard and we're dedicated and we're committed to doing this. And... My two toddlers, they're like, I want snacks, and blah, you know, screaming and throwing Cheerios, and, and a Japanese children, for life of I me, mean, I don't know how they do it, but they're, they're quiet and they're well-behaved. You absolutely cannot make a mess. So I'm on my hands and knees on the floor, picking up these Cheerios and, and sweeping them with my hands out of the Berber carpet.
1: Above the horizon of the desk, she can just make out the nodding head of the school principal. Still firing questions to her translator.
2: And I had to tell them, too. They're like, why do you want to be here? I was like, well, my son really wants to learn Japanese. And they'd say, well, he can just take Japanese lessons. I said, well, he wants to learn the culture and be a part of the society. And they were like, oh, OK. So he, he wants to be Japanese. I was like, yes.
1: And it works. Ryden and his mom are in.
2: Which about like getting accepted into Harvard
1: when school begins, mornings fall into this rhythm. Rodden and his mom leave their house on the base and walk to the meeting spot half a mile from the school. Rodden will line up with the other kids. The oldest child at the front of the line will put her arm up at seven forty five.
2: Seven forty five. She had her arm up, seven forty six, arm down. All right. Then we all have to say in unison, eat and the kids respond in something like, Thank you, mother, I'm off to a good day. And then they all walk.
1: Nicole is not exactly a free-range mom. She is more the type to worry.
2: All my friends tell me they say, "How how are we going to die today, Nicole?" You know.
1: <laughs> so watching him go,
2: <sighs> you know, it, it was hard.
1: He looked so small in his little yellow cap, walking through the streets of Tokyo. They
2: walk home by themselves too, and so I would give it twenty minutes after he's supposed to be home, and then I would start freaking out.
1: She'd call the school. They couldn't tell her where he was, except somewhere between school and home, and then riding with stride in.
2: It'd be like they found a bug on the sidewalk and they were playing with that.
1: (sighs) Walking group was already a challenge for Nicole, and then she noticed this one kid.
2: This one boy who leaves after everybody else. He had been kicked out for so long, so he would just walk by himself.
1: Nicole never found out what rule he'd broken. For her, it was just one more thing to worry about, that her son would be also ostracized.
2: If you stand out, it's bad.
1: And there were so many ways to go wrong at this new school, things that she, as a mother, needed to be on top of.
2: School shoes, outside shoes, gym shoes, walking to school hat
1: you needed to buy a special set of crayons It's
2: like individual crayons in the
1: right metal box
2: 60 cents each if
1: one crayon breaks you have to replace that one color
2: i have to wash
1: the crayon box i'd have to wash the pencil box a reflective cover for his backpack cloth hat for gym class red on one side white on the other flip it depending on what team you're on that day but it was just another thing that nicole had not known to buy until Ryden came home in a panic.
2: He came home like, oh, I didn't have my hat, you know, and I'm like, I didn't know Ryden, and so then I would, you know, have to drop everything and bike to the store and get him whatever supply I didn't know that everybody else had.
1: Sometimes fitting in was not a matter of something that she could buy at the store, like every time the school cafeteria served fish.
2: They served us huge fish, whole fish, like scales and eyeballs and fins and everything. And I hated fish.
3: (sighs) I had a dream that I was at school and it was lunchtime and I saw the fish. I was like, "Uh, fish again. And then I fell asleep. And then when I blinked my eye open, the dead fish was looking at me. And then I looked somewhere else and there was another dead fish looking at me. And then when I closed my eyes and then blinked, opened my eyes, All of them were looking at me. That was the most freakiest dream
2: ever. So he wasn't eating lunch. And so I asked, I said, can I pack his lunch? And they were like, does he have a food allergy? I said, no, he just doesn't like everything. And they were like, well, then he doesn't eat. In America, I would just be like, no, I'm packing his lunch. But in Japan, I just didn't know how to behave. Even my husband, though, would be like, You need to chill out, woman. This is what what we eat.
1: By we, she heard it as we Filipinos, we Asians, not you.
2: He almost would accuse me of whitewashing the children.
1: Nicole had come to Japan knowing full well that she would be in the minority. She looked forward to the change.
2: I would be the one different, not them.
1: Except she had never really been in the minority. And she didn't expect that being an outsider in this foreign country would make her feel like an outsider in her own family. I was just
2: really torn, and I didn't want to lose
1: the respect of my husband. And Nicole started to wonder what impression of her Ryden was getting in this new school. Like, she remembers before Ryden's first class field trip, she had to pack her lunch, uh, a bento box.
2: And they sent home a letter in English, like, don't pack soda in the bento box. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to pack my kindergartner's soda in his lunch to begin with. Um, then I get a phone call like, oh, just to make sure you don't pack soda. That's not very healthy. And I was like, got it. Not packing soda.
1: Day before the field trip, Rodden comes home. Mom,
2: please don't pack soda. She said tea or water. I'm like, Rodden, you never drink soda. So why would I send you soda to school suddenly? And And it was only the kids with white moms who got that note. And that was about There's like three of us. I chose to, you know, shut up and and take it because this was important to my son.
1: Ryden never did learn to enjoy fish for lunch. And he still often missed supplies. His mom misread or mistranslated the letters home. None of this though seemed to faze him. He loved school.
3: This it um it makes sounds. (laughs)
1: He loved music class, where they played melodicas. It's like a keyboard that you blow into. He loved the vending machines and the rainbow lizards that ran around the school grounds.
3: I caught a lizard, put it in my pocket. After school, I checked my pocket and it was gone.
1: And most of all...
3: I liked recess.
1: The kid who once dribbled a basketball alone on a U.S. base, he found it so much easier to make friends here.
3: Easier. Yeah, it's like... I was Japanese, sort of. It's like I was meant to be
4: there. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) (laughs)
1: Ietsuko Ogawa was one of Raiden's teachers, and she says he was really shy at first, not the kind of kid who would ask someone to play with him or join his game. But the kids really liked him, and they included him. And as she put it, Raiden was a wonderful match for Japanese society, with just one problem, he never learned to stay quiet.
4: He kept talking, talking, talking
1: in the yeah, morning walking group line.
4: Like disturb other students.
1: She says this was a problem for safety. If one of the kids is always turning around and trying to chat with the kid in line behind him.
4: So <laughs> I asked Lyden and to stop. <laughs> Please be a good boy in the morning group. And then, yeah, I asked so many times to Lyden, but he was not. <laughs>
1: She told him, "I'm just going to give you three warnings.
4: After three times, I will ask your parents to to come." The teacher
2: called me and she told me that Ryden was suspended from the walking group line, and so I needed to take him to school. And I was like, "I'll just, uh, I'll just drive him. It's, it's not a big deal." And, and she said, um, "Oh no, that's not possible. You must walk him." And, and I said. I, I can't, you know, it's like I have two small kids, I can't, I can't walk him to school every day. And she's like, well, perhaps when he sees your struggle, he will understand how his behavior is affecting his family, and then once, once he sees how hard it is for you, he will decide to change so that he's not in, inflicting hardship on his mother. And in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, right, my kid doesn't care, you know. <laughs>
1: Next day, she and Raiden head off to school together. Raiden's out in front. She's behind him pushing the stroller with the baby in one hand, holding Raiden's younger brother with her other hand. So no hands free for an umbrella. And it's monsoon season.
2: Yeah, so it wasn't just like rain. This was pouring downpour rain. My hair is like stuck to my face. It's coming into my raincoat. And the rain is hitting the stroller, too, and soaking through the top of it. And then, of course, my toddler wants to jump in every rain puddle, and Ryden just thinks this is great. He's like, "I get to walk with my mom and <laughs> and all this. So he kept trying to just talk, it's like, "Is titanium stronger than adamantium? And if Iron Man got into a fight with Wolverine, who would win? Because Iron Man's made out of this, and, and I would, and I'm like, I don't know. Okay, shut your mouth and walk." You got in trouble because you can't keep your mouth shut. So now we're going to practice and you will be silent and you will look straight ahead and you're going to walk to school. And I was just, I was mean to him.
1: Ryden was behaving like an ordinary American first grader. He's talking about superheroes. But Nicole found herself disciplining him the way she'd seen other Japanese moms do. She saw this public walk of shame as a shaming of her.
2: I felt really like, what am I doing wrong? Why is my son... The only one that's can't can't behave and I just felt felt like I was failing.
1: The most embarrassing part, she says, was arriving at the gate and seeing the teacher, Ogawa Sensei, waiting for them, watching them. And she was there the next day, too. When we talked to Ogawa Sensei, she told us that Nicole was not wrong to see this walk as a test of her.
4: It's not easy
1: just as the entrance interview, she says, is really more about judging the parents' commitment than the kids'. This walk, she told us, was partly to embarrass Ryden to get him to change, but also to see if Nicole was willing to enforce the school's rules, rules of behavior that she had not grown up with. And then, on the third morning, the teacher was there at the gate again, waiting for them.
2: And she literally just said, I think you can rejoin the walking group tomorrow. Thank you. And I was like... Okay, I guess we passed.
1: After that, Ryden did manage to stay quiet and walk in walking group,
2: and it really did surprise me. Like maybe their way is right, and we need to expect more out of our children, and we need them to see the repercussions for others.
1: Ryden finished first grade, loved second grade even more at the Japanese school, and then, as they expected the orders came down from the U.S. military. Ryden's dad was being relocated again. It was time to say goodbye. When Rough Translation returns, the long way home.
0: Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how a new study aims to impact an underrepresented community.
2: My greatest hope for the Voices
0: of Black Women study is that it will help us understand and identify culturally tailored ways to change and really eliminate the unacceptable disparities for future generations of Black women as it relates to cancer. To learn more, go to voices.cancer.org.
2: This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: We're back with NPR's rough translation. Okay,
3: let's so hopefully I get
1: this right. One of the mementos that Ryden has from Japan is this calligraphy set. He'll sit there and practice his Japanese letters.
3: I taught myself.
1: Nicole says he spent that first year about as depressed as a third grader can get. When a school assignment asked him to draw the flag of his native country, he drew a red circle against white, the flag of Japan. Then the school had an international day where you could set up a booth about your country.
2: You could set up a table from your country. And he really wanted to do Japan, which is basically me doing Japan. Um, <laughs> and I was just like, right in, I don't think that's, um... I was like, I don't, I don't know how that would look if I did the booth for Japan And he's like, oh, it'll be fine. You know, you just wear your dress and stand there and we'll make food. And I'm like, you you don't understand. If real Japanese people show up to this, they're going to go, what? You know, like, where's this this white lady doing the Japanese booth?'" And so I didn't do it. You know, I probably just should have. I just should have sucked it up and done it.
1: Those two years that they spent in Japan, they were supposed to give her shy son more confidence, a sense of fitting in. But... It seemed like ever since they got back to the States, Nicole says, she feels like now he knows the person he wants to be. And she's the one getting in the way of that.
2: I think he feels like he can fully pass until I show up. You know, this idea of who he is can't go on if you've got a white mom.
1: One day, Rodden got a big packet in the mail from his Japanese school.
2: Each child wrote Write in an individual letter. They like drew pictures. Some of them were just like, "Write in where did you go? I hope you feel better soon. We miss you." Like they thought he was sick and coming back. It just broke my heart. But um... why? You know you you love you love people who love your children. Yeah. And and just how how his heart like sorry it's like it's so emotional but like his heart hurt to go to go back to this place where he felt like he fit in and he felt like he belonged and they missed him and they wanted him back it's just it's just the the pain of a military child of never getting to have a home you know or if you are lucky enough to live in a place that you feel like is home you have you have to leave it and he has no control Ugh. It just hurt Yeah. that, like, I had to take him from that.
1: Despite the pain of leaving Japan, there's another way, Nicole says, that Japan has helped Raiden and their whole family. It's changed her as a parent.
2: I give them a lot more freedom, things that most people wouldn't do, like... <laughs>
1: She'll let her five-year-old wander off alone, outside.
2: I'll be like, okay, go outside, and I'm going to trust you to come back, you know, at at five o'clock, and you need to figure out when it's five o'clock.
1: She'll even let her four-year-old daughter walk home alone from school. She had to sign a special form for that.
2: And I'll even recite statistics in my head of the probability of them getting kidnapped is so low, you know, it's gonna be okay.
1: Nicole is still a worrying type. That has not changed. But she forces herself to let go, she says, just like the Japanese school taught her to. It seems to work better for Ryden, and it even makes her more in sync with her husband. It's weird, she says, but it feels to her like the kind of parent she is now is just a better fit with her own family, even if that means letting Ryden stray farther than she expected. Yeah. Raiden's Japanese teacher, Ogawa-sensei, who still talks to Raiden regularly on the phone, recently told him she'd be happy to host Raiden this summer in Japan.
2: We definitely want to send him next summer to go back to Japan.
3: Yeah, like, um, so Ogawa said she'd take me for the year. Yeah,
2: Ogawa-sensei said she would take him for the summer. Uh, So
3: (laughs) she could take me for, like, a couple years. A
2: couple years. I don't know about that. I kind of, I'd kind of miss you. He would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's going to be cold in the classrooms again, and you'll have to clean it and eat rice and fish for lunch. You're willing to do all that? Yes. I don't know. I think I like the colorful American school, where you sing and everybody's happy. It's too colorful. <laughs> it's too bright and happy, huh? Yeah. <laughs>
1: We have some links to NPR reporting on parenting around the world. You can check that out at our website, npr.org slash roughtranslation. And this is the last episode in our season of Rough Translation. We will not be gone for long. You can find out when we are back. Of course, subscribe to the podcast. Also follow us on Twitter at Roughly or drop us an email, roughtranslation at npr.org. We will let you know exactly when we're coming back. And more than that, we will tell you what we're working on and take you behind the scenes. Today's show was produced by Jess Jang and Autumn Barnes. Our editor was Amy Drozdovska. Thanks also to Marianne McCune, Robert Smith, and Sana Krasikov and to Yukari Miyazaki-sensei, Mari Yamamoto, and Yuki Noguchi. The Rough Translation High Council is Neil Caruth, Chris Turpin, Will Dobson, and Anya Grunman. Mastering by Isaac Rodriguez, our music was composed by John Ellis. Production help from Peter Lang Stanton. Aaron Register is our project manager, and Mitchell Johnson is our new intern. I'm Gregory Warner, back soon with a new season of Rough Translation. If you've listened this far, a little bit of a bonus for you. We have printed up a limited number of Rough Translation flags. If you want one, send an email to roughtranslation at npr.org. We'll send you a flag, and then just do us a favor. Post a picture of yourself with a flag, tag us, and tell us something about the place you are or where you're from. We can't wait to see where those flags end up. No purchase necessary, voidware prohibited, ages 18 and over. Thanks for listening.
0: Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. All that sitting and swiping, your body is
2: adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it.